of community. And uh, I just want to remind everybody that, uh, that this, this campaign is just a tool to help facilitate a connection between believers in our church. And um, that's what we're about here. We want to help you find your place of connection. And we want you to learn what it means and why it's important for you to be in a small group. And we look at the scriptures last week from Acts chapter 2, and we recognize that those early believers were in one of two places at all times. They were either in the temple or they were meeting from house to house, from home to home. And so this is what we want. We, we, we would say to you this morning, it's not enough just to come to church on Sunday, but you need to get connected with other believers. Why are we doing this? Well, first of all, um, because it's God's will. And secondly, it's, uh, it's a way for you, it's a, it's a, it's a facilitate, uh, an opportunity for you to get connected. So before we, um, before we begin this morning, let's just, uh, ask the Lord to, to bless this and, uh, open our hearts and our minds to receive from Him. Father, we need you to touch our hearts and open our minds to receive from you. Father, if we have come here with uh, prejudices or with preconceived ideas about what this campaign is about, we pray, God, that you would help us to put these things aside, to hear your voice. We pray, God, that we would indeed be open to hearing what you have for us. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. So we start this morning with a message that is at once radical and countercultural. It's the opposite to what our culture tells us. We've been taught our entire life that it's better to be independent. It's better to be independent. But God says, if you will do what I tell you to do, you will never again have to deal with loneliness. You'll never have to deal with, or you never have to struggle to overcome fatigue, fear, failure, frustration. How many know today that God's word for our hearts, for our lives, is not to make life miserable for us, it's not to make it restrictive, it's to make it better. God is concerned that we go through life with joy and with peace. And I'm telling you today, if we do things God's way, we'll know that joy and that peace. So the anecdote to fatigue, failure, loneliness, fear, is in fact community. It's being connected to other believers. Now, we North Americans love our independence. And how many know or would agree with me when I say that Canada is very much like the USA in many ways? Would you agree with that? Basically, we watch the same television, the same attitudes. We have the, 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 uh, the same, um, basically the same culture in so many ways. And basically, if you look at the U.S. history, 1776, the Americans declared uh, their what? Declared their independence. There's a great, great document created called the Declaration of Independence. And so, of course, Americans love their independence. In fact, they think that it's, it's uh, what life's all about and it's what's going to make them happy. We've been taught that happiness is the result of, of financial independence, relational independence, independence in every way. But here's the thing, folks. If you look at North America today, recognizing that never in the history of the world have people been so independent as they are right here, right now, in our generation. And yet at the same time, never have there been more unhappy people and never have suicide rates been so high as they are now. What's going on? We who are so independent 
And we who are supposed to be so happy now with all of our independence are in fact quite the opposite. Why is this? I'll tell you why. Because independence is not the answer. Interdependence is. Gloria and I lived in Greece, as some of you know, for, uh, for, well actually Gloria and I were together for three and a half years. I was in Athens for a year before I got married. And we discovered that Greece is the cultural, or at least back then it was, was a cultural opposite to Canada and to the United States. They, uh, the Greek people, uh, are very much in your face and in your life. And we would go out onto our balcony to sit and have a, you know, a cup of coffee and chat or, little, or whatever. And suddenly everybody, all the Greeks came out on their balconies. And I mean, we had a building right across the street from us. You could literally spit onto the other balcony. It was that close. They'd come out and wave and talk to us in Greek. We didn't know what they were saying, but we smiled and waved back and, and they waved at us, and and uh, that one woman, she could never get into her mind. We could never hear what she was saying, but she would carry on long conversations, smile at us, wave at us, wave back. And uh, when the baby was born, neighbors were over, telling Gloria how to how to clothe it, how to diaper it, how how to it. I meant Jesse, pardon me. Uh, <laughs> how to how to clothe him and diaper him, how to feed him. They were always concerned that he was so scrawny. And he's a husky guy now. <laughs> That's because of the Greeks. <laughs> they were they were in our faces. They were in our lives. And at first, we were extremely uncomfortable with it. And I'd been in Athens for a year, so I was okay. I was kind of used to it by now. Gloria was extremely uncomfortable with it. They would tell that she would, she hadn't dressing Nick, Jesse properly. He, didn't, he didn't, should have socks on. Why isn't he got socks on? This is like 30 above. And he should have socks on. have a sweater on. What are you taking him out like that for? And um, in our faces. And... Um, we couldn't do anything without them, without them following us around and looking into our business. And uh, if you know the Greeks, they're not afraid to ask you questions about yourself. Like, how much money do you make? And how much, asking me, how much did her father give you as a dowry <laughs> for marrying her? <laughs> he didn't pay me anything. I just wanted to marry her because I loved her. Uh, they want to know everything. They talk to you about your sex life. They talk to you about your bank account. They talk to you uh, about everything. It's amazing. It's a different life. The thing we discovered about the Greek culture is that it was very, listen to this, very interdependent. And it was not uncommon for, for a family to have a grandma and a grandpa living there and all the kids. And sometimes there'd be up to three or four or five generations living in one house. Everybody was interdependent. And nobody thought it was unusual. Nobody was uncomfortable with it. It's just the way it was in Greece. Now you could say, man, that sounds, that sounds like a miserable, miserable scenario. I'm going to tell you something. If you looked at the statistics back then, you'd discover that Greece had the lowest crime rates, the lowest murder rates in all of Europe, the lowest suicide rates, the lowest number of AIDS, the lowest psychiatric problems. You, I know some of you are thinking, man, I live with my in-laws. I can't imagine that, but, but it's the truth. It was, it, it was a great culture. And Gloria and I, in fact, got to love that culture so much because we felt that we were loved, that we were cared for. We felt that we were part of the family. And any time they had a celebration, they always thought of the poor Canadians that had no place to go, and we were always invited in. In fact, we were invited in next door. To, uh, there's a family of sick. They had three rooms, six people living in three rooms. And they'd say, come on over for dinner. <laughs> and my first question is, where are you going to put us? <laughs> 
And they jammed us into the living room, put the table right by the TV. TV's on full blast and right in my ear. And we're all sitting around and we're talking and we're fellowshipping together. I don't understand anything they're saying. They don't understand anything I'm saying. But we're together and we're loving it. Completely different culture. And consequently, a very healthy culture. Now, the truth is, happiness does not come from being independent. It doesn't come from being isolated. It doesn't come from having barriers up or masks or keeping people at arm's length. Happiness comes through being connected to one another, being interdependent. So the biblical declaration of interdependence is this. I really, really, really need a small group. I need to belong. I need to be connected. That's the biblical declaration of interdependence. Now, look what it says in Romans 12, verse 5b. Let's all read it together, can we? One, two, we're doing it together, right? It's better together, right? One, two, three. Now, I want you to turn to the person beside you and say, you know what? You really need me. Go ahead, Solomon. You, no, no, you need me. <laughs> okay, now I want you to say to the other person, now, oh, whoa, whoa, oh, hey, I'm, I'm losing control here. <laughs> now I want you to say to the person beside you, and I need you. Go ahead, tell them that. Now, all right, that's enough, kids. <laughs> now we had a few marriage proposals there. <laughs> you can talk to me after the service if you want. Here's the thing, folks. We need each other. And that's what these next 40 days is all about. It's all about understanding how much we need one another. We're going to look at why relationships go bad. We're going to talk about how to turn a bad relationship into a good relationship. We're going to learn what it means to really love and be loved and what it means to enjoy intimacy with other human beings. There's a lot of people that have never, never experienced that. We're going to learn what it means to have soul-to-soul fellowship. And what is the purpose of God's church in, in this time? So I want to give you five reasons this morning why you need a church family. And more than that, five reasons why you need to belong to a small group where you're connected. And here's the first thing. I need others to walk with me. Could you say it with me? I need others to walk with me. That's what it says in Colossians chapter 2, verse 6 to 7. Just as you receive Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in Him. Now the Bible often calls our spiritual life our uh, our walk or our Christian walk, our spiritual walk. Why is it that God refers to our Christian life as our walk? I'll tell you why. Because life is a journey, isn't it? It's not something that is static. It's, it's, you don't sort of sit in one place your whole life through and do nothing. Uh, you're, you're constantly moving, constantly changing, constantly learning, constantly developing. The person you are today is not the person you're going to be 25 years from now. And the person you are today is not the person you were 25 years ago. I got this morning, looked in the mirror, and I thought, who am I looking at? Those big bags under my eyes, great big deep creases. I sure didn't have those 25 years ago when I started the ministry. At least Gloria says that anyway. She said, Alan, you're so handsome. I said, are you referring to now or 25 years ago? She says, no, dear, now. But you see, wives have to say that. <laughs> I'm a different person today. I'm, a, I'm not the person I was 25 years ago. I've, I've changed. I've grown. And here's the thing. Here's what the Bible says. God doesn't want you to walk alone. 
That's not God's plan for you. Your, God's plan for you in this walk is you walk together, never alone. Now, I'm going to tell you something. I'll make something very clear. This, what I'm talking about right now has nothing to do with whether you're single or married because there's a lot of single people who are very fulfilled and very connected. There's a lot of married people who are very, very lonely, desperately lonely. So what are we talking about? We're talking about community as outlined in the Scripture, a soul-to-soul connection with other believers. And that's what we're praying is going to take place in the small groups, some of which will be meeting tonight. Our, our group is meeting tonight for the very first time. I'm so, I'm really looking forward to it. There's people that I'm going to get to know better that I didn't know that well. Now, what's, what's wrong with, with walking alone? Some people might ask. I, I like to walk alone. I prefer to be alone. I, I, I get my own way when I walk alone. Aha, that's precisely the problem with walking alone. You see, God is, God is a God of love, isn't He? And when you're walking alone, folks, you're not learning cooperation. You're not learning relationships. You're not learning love. And the very basis, the very foundation of your Christianity is relationship, right? What did God say about himself? He said he is love. Isn't that right? God says that he is God of love. What's the great commandments? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And what? Love your neighbor as yourself. Now, here's the thing. You cannot exercise love alone. You need to be in relationship with others in order to fulfill the command of God. Now, I'm going to give you three quick reasons why it's very important for you to walk with others. First of all, it's safer, It's safer, isn't it? There's safety in numbers. When you walk alone, it's dangerous. It's risky. Have you ever been out in the country all by yourself, walking alone at night? It's a scary thing. There's no lights. And, and I've I'm, I'm, I got a very vivid imagination. I'm just sure that at any moment a bear is going to come out of the bush and, and eat me up. <laughs> I don't like to be alone in the country. We go to Banff all the time. I, I don't like to be alone up in the bushes. I want to have other people around me. I got, my kids think I'm there to protect them, but <laughs> I got my kids around me to protect me. And uh, someone once said, you know, um, uh, if you're facing a bear, you got a friend with you. All you have to do is be a faster runner than your friend, and you're safe. It's safer, isn't it? It's safer when you're when you walk with somebody else. Jimmy Swagger. Some of you have heard of him. He's still on the TV. I noticed that he was on this morning. And you, if you don't know it, back in the '80s, late '80s, '90s, there was a great uh, a great a great fall from grace. Jimmy Swaggart was caught with a prostitute. Not once, but twice. Now, I believe that Jimmy Swaggart had the anointing of God upon his life. I believe that God had enabled him to preach like few men could preach. But what was his problem? I'll tell you really quickly. The problem with Jimmy Swaggart is that he got big. He got powerful. His ministry in one year would take in $210 million, and that was in the late 80s. I don't know if there's a ministry today that takes in that kind of money. And I, I will say about Jimmy Swaggart at that time, he was doing great works overseas, uh, helping the poor and the needy, and had a Bible college, and was on television, and did crusades. But he got big. And he got so big that he felt like the rules didn't apply to him and that he didn't need anybody. And so we find Jimmy Swaggart's Big Jimmy Swaggart, not submitting to the fellowship of other, of other believers. And next thing you know, he's been reported to have been caught with a prostitute. 
Not once, but twice. Now, friends, if Jimmy Swaggart had followed, listen, followed the wisdom of Billy Graham, who would never be alone, he actually made it, made it so that part of the, the Billy Graham policy was that Billy Graham could never be alone. He was always with somebody, always had a group of men around him that he could pray with and that would look out for him. And so we know that now Billy Graham, I think he's in his 90s now, has got a clean record and has done nothing to disgrace the name of the Lord. Folks, it's safer to walk with others and to try to face this life alone. And some of us here today, if we were honest, we've gone through some very difficult times spiritually in our lives, and that's because we tried to do it alone. Listen, even Jesus surrounded himself with 12. Who are we to think that we could do this Christian life all by ourselves? You can't do it. You're setting yourself up for failure. The second thing I want to quickly point out to you is that when you walk with others, it's supportive. It keeps you from giving up. Has anybody ever felt like giving up? I was... Um, there's a, an old Zambian proverb that says, when you run alone, you run fast. But when you run together, you run far. How many know today that life is not a 50-yard dash? It is, in fact, a marathon. It's, and, and some people don't make the marathon. They don't make it all the way through. The reason we need to walk with others is so that we get the encouragement that we need. Back in the, in the oh, I think it must have been the late 70s, Calvary Temple Youth Group decided they were going to raise some money by having a, a 20-mile walkathon. I'd never been in a walkathon before, and the idea of walking 20 miles really intrigued me. I thought, I can do this. And my older brother signed up, my older sister signed up, and we had to do five laps around Birds Hill Park. And by the third, by the third lap, my brother dropped out of the out of the out of the uh, mar- uh, walkathon. Say marathon, out of the walkathon. And uh, by the fourth lap, my sister dropped out of the walkathon, and I was ready to drop out myself. But you see, I was in a group that had a had a a, a natural leader in the group, and she said to me, "Alan, think of this: your older brother and your older sister couldn't make it." Now, if you make this walkathon, when you get home, you'll be able to brag and gloat. <laughs> now, those are just the encouraging words that I needed to hear. And so I, I made that, I made that last lap. When I got home, I could declare I had walked 20 miles, whereas my brother and my sister didn't. And I was so happy that I had done something better than them. Now, I'm going to tell you something. We need to support each other. We need to encourage each other to keep going and not to give up. And I know some of you, you in fact, have gone through a time, have gone through a spell where you have given up and you, you're, you're just maybe just getting back on track now. The only way you're going to stay on track is to stay connected to the fellowship of believers in a small group. That's how you're going to stay on track. The third thing that, that uh, we need to recognize is that when we walk together, with other believers, it makes us smarter. We need to have somebody now and again say, hey, you're off track. You're heading the wrong direction. You're mixed up. You don't know what you're doing. Isn't that what the Bible says? The Bible says in the multitude of counselors, there is safety. And so it's smart and it's supportive and it's safe. We walk together. You know what? I know something. All the wacky and weird, nutty things that happened in Christianity happened because 
somebody thinks he's too smart to get the counsel of others. And I've been in the ministry for 25 years, and I have seen some really nutty things come down the highway. I have seen some nutty things take place, all in the name of Jesus. And why? Because certain Christian leaders refused to get the counsel of others. And so they went off track and they went nutty. And I tell you, I don't want to be associated with nutty. I want to be associated with what is true, what is godly, what is pure. And the way you're going to stay on track, friends, is if you stay in fellowship with others. Do you know that God created two families? He created your earthly family, and he created what we call a spiritual family. It's called the family of God. And it's created through, through Jesus Christ. I'm going to tell you something. Your earthly family is going to die. Did you know that? Your earthly family is not going to last forever. But your spiritual family is. It's going to last for eternity. And so God has put you in a spiritual family so that you will have this family to live with forever. Now, if you're not part of a spiritual family, then you're going to have a hard time in eternity because that's, that's who you're going to be with in heaven. You're going to be with a spiritual family. I need others to walk with me. I need others to work with me. In Ephesians 2, verse 10, look what it says here. God made us to do good works, which he planned in advance for us to live our lives doing. Now, I want you to know something, folks. God has created us to work together. Uh, we are having a big fundraiser at the end of February. We're inviting everybody to make sure you, you get a ticket for that. Now, understand something that, some say, don't you think, Pastor, $50 is too much for a ticket? Well, if it's a ticket to come and eat, it's far too much money. I wouldn't pay 50 bucks to eat a meal. I'm not that stupid. 10 bucks max. That's why I don't even eat at Perkins. It costs too much money to eat at Perkins. And everybody said, besides <laughs> so the service ain't that good either, but never mind. What we're talking about, folks, is asking you to partner with us in raising funds to house 200 to 300 poor homeless Filipino people. This is what this is about. And we're doing it together. Now, I'm going to tell you something. I, Alan Duncalf, cannot come up with enough money to even create one hut to house 10 people. But together, we can, we can raise funds to house anywhere between 200 and 300 people. I was talking to the, I told you this, I was talking to this, to a, to an owner of a business who, who said that they would match what we were, what we would raise. And here's the thing. They were not sitting at home one night thinking, man, you know, I'd sure like to give some money to the homeless in the Philippines. They weren't thinking that. But when I began to pour out the vision and share with them my dream of doing this project in the Philippines, then suddenly something sparked in their heart. And suddenly we, we were instantly partners in blessing the Philippines. We work together to fulfill the work of God. God made us to do good works, which he planned in advance for us to live our lives doing. And so, my friends, when we stand before God someday, and God looks at what you've done, what I've done on this earth, guess what? If you partner with us, on that list will be you house 200 to 300 homeless Filipino people. That's thrilling to me. God wants to use you, but you can't do it alone. You know, this idea that oh, I'm going to be a Mother Teresa. I'm going to go to the. I'm going to go to India, and I'm going to I'm going to clothe the naked and feed the hungry and 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 nurse the 
the downtrodden. And You know what? Mother Teresa didn't do it alone. What a lot of people don't understand is that Mother Teresa had 610 missions in 123 countries with 450 brothers and 5,000 nuns doing the work of caring for the needy. It was a team effort, folks. And when you stand before God someday, we're standing before God as a team. When I stand before Jesus, Jesus is going to say, Alan, way to go, man. You raised $20,000, $30,000 to build those huts. No, we all will share collectively in the reward and in the blessing that comes from our Savior. How many are looking to hear Jesus say, well done, good and faithful servants? And we do it together. We celebrate together. And I'm going to tell you, when we stand before the throne someday, there's going to be a mighty celebration taking place as we celebrate together the good things that God's been able to do through this church. And there's been some mighty things, some mighty powerful things that we've been able to do together. The third thing I need to quickly point out to you is that I need others to watch out for me. One of the things we tried to do when we were living in Weston is we tried to have a neighborhood watch program. I don't know if it's happening now. But the idea was that through that neighborhood watch program is that we we would watch each other's stuff. So if we were going away, my neighbors would watch my stuff. And if they go away, I watch his stuff. And everybody's watching each other's stuff. But there's something far more important than your stuff. You know what it is? It's your soul. The question is this morning is who's watching out for your soul? You say, what do I need that for, Pastor? I'll tell you why. Because there's an enemy out there that hates your guts. His name is Satan. He wants to do everything in his power to destroy you. And when you get into partnership and into fellowship with other believers, then we start looking out for each other. We start saying, hey, man, you've missed church two or three times. I'm not ragging on you, man, but I'm just looking out for you. But hey, have you been reading your Bible lately? When I was a youth pastor, that's what we used to ask each other all the time. Did you, did you do your devotions today? Did you do your devotions today? And I'd tell, I had kids come to me, Pastor, i got problems. I don't know what to do with myself. And the very first question I'd say is, did you do your devotions today? They said, no. So well, you go do your devotions and come back and we'll do some counseling. They come back to me. I said, do you need counseling now? I said, no, Jesus spoke to me. So that's the way it's supposed to work. We challenge each other. We encourage each other. We point each other to Jesus. We watch out for one another. I, I'm so thankful for the wife that I have. She's watching out for me all the time. She won't let me leave the house, Kathy, without checking my ears. There's always something falling out of there. I don't know what's growing in there, but there's something falling out. I got hair. Since I turned 40, Fran, I got hairs growing on the top of my ears. I never had that before. I wasn't born that way. I got hairs coming out, and I can't see anymore. I've lost my eyesight. I have a hard time reading it, but I got a wife who's looking out for me, so I don't look. You know. Alan, you got a hair growing out of your nose. Can't, I just checked it. How many know that as you get older, hair grows very fast? <laughs> I got eyebrow hairs growing out like this. I mean, I feel like, what are those little animals, the grasshoppers, feeling my way along here? Thank God for my wife. So I don't look, leave the house looking ridiculous. But we have to look out for each other. And that's what happens in a context of a small group. You're not walking alone. I mean, you know, I've heard some really, really wacky ideas in my time in the ministry. Wacky, weird ideas. And you know what? These people that, that propagate these, these weird ideas are able to do that because nobody challenges them. Nobody watches out for them. They're allowed to go on in their delusion. But God calls us to watch out for one another so that we don't fall prey to the enemy. And I love what it says in Ecclesiastes 4. A person standing alone can be attacked and defeated. Listen to that. A person standing alone can be attacked 
and defeated. But two can stand back to back and conquer, and three are even better, for a triple-braided cord is not easily broken. That's why you need a small group. Back a few years ago, you may have heard about that kid that was mountain climbing all by himself. Nobody watched out for him. He fell, and a rock fell on his arm. And there, there he was, all alone in the wilderness, and he faced, faced a decision. Do I, do I just stay here with my arm trapped under that rock and maybe freeze to death, starve to death? And so what he did, he had to pull out a jackknife, and he, and he actually amputated his arm. He cut it off his own arm so that he'd get free. Now, I wonder what would happen if he hadn't been alone, if he had somebody watching out for him. And you know what? Some of us are going through life like that. We're, we're in a in terrible state because we're all alone. God's calling us to watch out for one another. Number four, I need to others to wait and weep with me. We've had people attend our church and get angry because nobody visited them, and nobody phoned them, nobody talked to them. I've had some. I had people go to the doctor, go to the hospital, have surgery, and I know nothing about it. And they get get upset with me, and they say, "Pastor, nobody nobody visited me." And I'm going to say, "Well, first of all, how would we know? I don't have ESP yet. I'm working on that gift, but God's not. I don't seem to be getting that gift. No ESP yet, Mark. I don't have that yet. Maybe maybe another 25 years I'll get that one. I don't have that." And so, you know, if you're not connected, who knows what's going on in your life? If you're not connected, how do you know what's going on in somebody else's life? And so this is why you need to get connected. So that not only are people watching out for you, but that people can wait with you and weep with you in your hour of need. In 1 Corinthians 12, it says, If one member suffers, all suffer together. I, I want you to know something. When you get together in your small group and someone's weeping, having a difficult time, (laughs) your job is not to be a psychiatrist or a psychologist. When I got married, I discovered that one of the job descriptions, one of the items on the job description as husband was not to fix my wife's problems. Do you have any men here know what I'm talking about? When my wife talks to me and tells me what's, what's bothering her, what's distressing her, what's making her feel upset, my first instinct as a man is to do what? It's to... That's my instinct. I want to fix it. And she says, you know, honey, I, I don't want you to fix it. I just want you to listen. She just wants to pour her. She just wants me to listen, to show that I care, to love her. And that's what happens in a small group. We don't fix each other's problems. We love each other. We weep with each other. We wait on God together. Fifthly, really quickly, I need others to witness with me. Witnessing is a difficult thing. It's a scary thing. But the Bible tells us clearly that God has called us to tell others about him. In John 13, 35, Jesus says this, Your love for one another will prove to the world that you are my disciples. The greatest way that you're going to witness and tell others about Jesus is by allowing unsaved people in your life watch you in relationship to other believers. So when unbelievers see you loving each other in the context of the church, that becomes a great magnet, a great attraction to them. And, and your unbelieving friend will say, I want what you've got. You know, December 2007, there's a, a, a great YouTube video. You can look it up yourself. It's fantastic. But uh, it, it captures... Um, there were some priests and monks of the Greek Orthodox and the Armenian Apostolic Churches. Listen to the report. The, 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 
the priests and monks of the Greek Orthodox and Armenian Apostolic Churches, listen to this, they came to blows during a dispute over the boundaries of their respective jurisdictions within the basilica. In other words, in the church in Bethlehem, there's one section is for the Armenian Christians and one section is for the Orthodox Christians. And somebody in the Orthodox section stepped over the boundary onto the Armenian section and a fight broke out in church. I'm not talking just any, I mean, they're, they're, they're hitting each other. It's so bad that they had to call in the Palestinian police, if you will. And so there they are, 50 Orthodox and 30 Armenian Christians fighting. And on TV, on CNN, four people, some with blood running from their faces, were slightly wounded. And all this at the place where Jesus was born. Now, I want to tell you something right now. This has nothing to do with Jesus. That kind of fighting does not reflect Christ at all. What does it reflect? It reflects Satan. I want you to know today, my friends, the, ba- the best and greatest testimony to the lost world is when you and I love each other. I'm going to close with this little video clip. It's, um, it's taken from a movie based on a true story of East Side High. And what happened is that in East Side High, the, the school had come to an all-time low. Crime was up. Kids were failing, getting, getting grades of 20% out of 100 or less. There was stabbings. There were shootings. There was uh, kids were not showing up for school. Kids were afraid to come to school. Teachers felt like quitting. And finally, a principal came to the school and he said, what needs to happen here is that we need to start working together. We need to start loving each other. We need to link arms and we need to be responsible for each other. And we have to stand together against crime, against those who would try to destroy this high school. It's a true story. And this principal... teaches us how important it is to be together, to link arms together. Listen to the, listen to the video clip. Now, that was a Baptist church. <laughs> We're a Pentecostal church. Did you hear the words to that song? Sometimes in our lives, we all have pain, we all have sorrow. But if we are wise, we know that there's always tomorrow. Lean on me when you're not strong, and I'll be your friend. I'll help you carry on. That's the church. For it won't be long till I'm going to need somebody to lean on. That's what Christianity is all about. People get together and lean on each other. Please swallow your pride. If I have things you need to borrow, for no one can fill those of your needs that you don't let show. If there's a load that you have to bear that you can't carry, I'm right up the road. I'll share your load if you just call on me. So just call on me, brother. When you need a hand, we all need somebody to lean on. 
I just might have a problem that you'd understand. We all need somebody to lean on. Let's pray.